0: It's time to hit the ice. Here's your NHL outsiders, Tim Biglow and Warren Smith, with the latest on the NHL's Western Conference Hockey Podcast. The puck drops now. Welcome to Sharpshooters.
1: Happy New Year. Welcome to Sharpshooters first edition of 2024 it's going to take a while for me to get that down i'm tim bigelow along with warren smith how was your new year it was great watched a lot of
0: world juniors hockey and uh woke up crazy early in the morning to watch that because they're over in sweden
1: and yeah just just chilling yeah that's good i kind of had a chill one i was thinking about that too though like warren from my dj years pre-pandemic i was always every new year's had to be doing an event so this idea of not DJing anymore, and actually spending money to go out on New Year's Eve. I'm not really a big fan of that. Plus... sorry,
0: I have to mention right now, uh, this nasty is kicking the shit out of the mascot from Seattle (laughs) for like an extended period of time, dropping the Hulk Hogan elbow on him and stuff.
1: But does he have like the coyote headgear on?
0: No, I don't know what I'm watching right (laughs) now. (laughs) then they then then they flip to a different section i guess before this (laughs) obviously pre (laughs) plan who knows if him he could do it on the spot but uh yeah he was just wailing on him and then they're showing a sequence where he was in those old dunk tanks and then the fucking mascot dunks him and then he gets out and starts beating him up there too so showing they've had this rivalry going for a little while here
1: the timeline for when we're recording this edition because you'll hear this on tuesday my goodness i almost was going to say monday but Today is Monday. The Winter Classic is on. It's through two periods of play. Seattle up 2 to nothing. I only watched a period of it and then I've got to focus on making sure that we're on top of things here. We'll say though the Winter Classic, they had uh, Sir Mix-a-Lot in the song jump on it um what? And, a, and a new variation for when Seattle came out to the ice. Yeah, to for their walk, their walk out to into the stadium. Yeah, it's live. Probably, was a
0: crowd just fucking bumping or what?
1: Oh yeah, that's a bumping tune. Jump on it, jump on it. Well, he's from Seattle. So he's like, he basically lists a bunch of cities in there. So in the original song, jump on it. Vegas is listed in there. Like he goes Vegas. He names cities, lots of area codes in it. Like the 206, that's Seattle's area code. And the song I think of the it's Sir Mix-a-Lot, his baby got back. Yeah, well, that's his big one. That's his big yeah. hit. Yeah but he's still going and jump on. It's more of a more recent song about the only thing close in his catalog to being as known as baby got back
0: for us. They didn't have like, I wonder if they are, are they having bands and shit play as part of their weekend?
1: They had a 14 year old Warren do a Hendrix style guitar solo for the American Anthem before the game too. That's kind of cool. That's a huge opportunity for that kid. Yeah, yeah just and thinking, it was good.
0: Like, they're known for the grunge scene, right? So I'm surprised they don't have.
1: Yeah, but of those guys, who's alive to be performing? Fair enough. No offense, but maybe Vetter, the Pearl Jam guys, might be the, everybody else is missing it. Actually, it would have been good if they would have got Dave Grohl and the Foo Fighters. Yeah, for sure. That's energy. But I don't hate it. I don't hate that they got Sir Mix-A-Lot. I think it was pretty good. It definitely had more of a... Well, more pro party atmosphere. Yeah. There. Yeah, like, for sure fun vibe because his songs are are fun vibe songs like they aren't like masterpieces by any stretch of the imagination baby got back is not a masterpiece but it's catchy and everybody gets gets around it and that's the same with jump on it like they had a little dance to it i forget how to like you the people would do the little circles on it Remember but you when know, you
0: said, like, most of our audiences is rock and rollers? Oh, yeah, yeah. A huge chunk of them are like, what the fuck is he talking about going on, and on about Sir Mix-a-Lot? I mean, they might know the one song, or two, both of them, but...
1: You have to be under a rock to not know who Sir Mix-a-Lot is.
0: I just love uh, that the Kraken used lithium, or they were using I don't know if they still do. I haven't really watched a Kraken game through, all the way through for a long time.
1: I think honest, it's, but... like, I think you're right. I think it's a goal song. Yeah. Or it's, like, There's a couple teams where they use parts of songs like Nashville's goal songs is parts of a couple songs, kind of a mashup. Yeah. Um, And there's so many of that. That's what everybody does now. They mash up two or three songs, put them together. Okay. So we're going to talk about the elite six, but we're doing it in three packs based on the division. So we're going to start with the three teams of the Pacific kingdom. I did some homework, Warren. You want to know what makes up the Pacific kingdom? Sure. You got the crown, the LA Kings. You got the golden Knights. In Vegas, and you got the Vancouver Nux, because every kingdom will need some knuckleheads in it. So that's where we're going with Vancouver. You had me with the first to that last one. <laughs> I don't know, stretch. But definitely a stretch. <laughs> but they the Vancouver Nux. They always call them the Nux. So what's knuck short for? Well, knuckleheads is a word that it could be short for. I don't know. I think it's actually pretty good. I'm going to be using that the rest of the year. Anyways, Vancouver had a 4-1 home loss to Philadelphia, the only game they played in this stretch. Casey DeSmith was in net, four goals against, 21 saves versus Philadelphia. Looking ahead coming after this New Year's, right, because the Winter Classic today, Vancouver has Ottawa, St. Louis, New Jersey, the Rangers, and the Islanders. So they'll play, I think, Ottawa at home, and then they're definitely in the East for those games in the New York area. That's what they've got coming up. Not really much to say because they played one game. Vegas is tied in points. So Vancouver, 36 games played, 23-10-3, 49 points, plus 43 goal differential, 681 point percentage. Vegas has played one more game but has 49 points, 37 games played, 22-10-5. And right now, they're losing the Winter Classic that's on right now where we're recording this, probably in the third period now, right? Yes. Yeah. Only 16 regulation wins for Vegas and a 662 point percentage. Rounding out the trio would be LA with 33 games played, 28 and 5, 45 points for back of both those teams, having three to four games in hand, plus 36 goal differential and a 682 point percentage, which is the best Pacific Division point percentage. But by points, and do they win all the games is the next question, right? Now, L.A. and Vegas played in this stretch. Prior to that, Vegas had a 5-2 road loss in Anaheim. One of the games were the team that had to travel on the same day and play, and we've got a few of those in the podcast. It's a bit um, of a theme. That's this podcast. For definitely, what did we say? Four of the teams, for sure, I think. Vegas was yeah. one of them that lost a game that otherwise you don't think they should be losing and you know they play that game you know 10 more times and vegas wins at nine and vegas allowed four first period goals and logan thompson was back remember logan thompson was hurt he did return aiden hill still out but five goals against 21 saves in the anaheim loss the la game was a Both teams on a back-to-back. So from an L.A. perspective, they had a 5-1 home win versus San Jose out of the break. So they avoided that trap. But again, travel for L.A. and San Jose, well, that's negligible, right? They're both Cali teams.
0: That and San
1: Jose is
0: legit in the basement, the worst team in the league.
1: Yeah. So, yeah. Everybody seemed
0: seemed exhausted from the fucking Christmas break and uh, had too much eggnog or whatever. Just didn't show up to play. Like you said, four goals in the first period. Uh, that's for sure not happened any other time this year for the Knights.
1: L.A., Adrian Kempe had two goals in the win over San Jose. And David Riddick back in net because Phoenix Copley, L.A.'s backup, is he's injured. So Riddick had one goal against against 24 saves, 2-0-0 now. That's no small sample size. But he's got something to prove. You think oh, about yeah, he's got it. A, he's
0: got something to prove. All right, he's he's getting up there, and he's he has to prove that he still deserves a job in the NHL.
1: After failed stints in Winnipeg, Nashville, prior to that, and even before that, I forget where he was. He had one good year in Calgary and tried to make a career out of it. It's interesting because was not David Riddick in a tandem with Cam Talbot in Calgary at the time that Riddick actually was good. I can't recall, to be honest. But I think it was. I think they had the tandem of Riddick and Talbot, and then they get Markstrom when he was a free agent, moved on from Talbot and Riddick.
0: I just but, want to mention something from the, the ducks Knights game where they were given that gift. Obviously, it's having to play them the day of when they travel. McTavish had three assists. And Drysdale, who we talked about before, who's been out of the lineup all season, uh, got to first school
1: of the season. So that's worth knowing. Well, Vegas had a 3-2 home win to L.A with both teams on the back-to-back. So they both equally had to play, and they both had to travel, because Vegas had to travel back from Anaheim. LA had to travel to Vegas. So that's an equal. That's where you don't have like one of those scheduled losses. Those yeah, teams no, that are under, out. Yeah. yeah, it washes out. Thompson had a better game. He played both games back-to-back. Two goals against 32 saves in the win over LA. And he started today in the Winter Classic, and he's allowed two goals in that one. L.A. had a 3-2 home shootout loss to Edmonton in this stretch, which is the other one. L.A. blew a two-goal lead after 20 to fall in a shootout versus Edmonton. And the turning point to me on that game was there's a penalty by Drew Doughty where Zach Hyman was coming in the zone. Doughty takes the puck from him. He's pretty in his positioning. But Hyman, even though he's losing the puck, basically falls over Doughty and Dowdy gets an interference call, even though he clearly was holding the puck at that time. Now, you know Drew Dowdy, right? Yeah. He was not a happy camper about that. I bet but not. Well, that's, what hap- that's what's happened. been happening a lot this
0: year with the fucking Rats, so it doesn't surprise me.
1: Edmonton on that power play. McDavid does McDavid things, and short side roof over the shoulder.
0: That was a crazy one. He walked in off the goal line, and yeah. just shot it from a crazy angle,
1: go bar down. Yeah, Fucking 600th Beauty. game of his career, I believe, too. Yeah, it was. Beauty goal. The play that sets that up is... Uh, and it's like LA never really recovered after that. They were dominating on the shots, on the possession.
0: Yeah, 16-2 sh- early in the second.
1: Yeah. However, that power play goal, that penalty sparks Edmonton to get that game closer to even in the shots by the third period. They get the game-tying goal, and they do win in the shootout. And good on Edmonton from LA's perspective, still a big point for LA because when we look at these teams in the, on the top in the standings, I'm just talking about the six, right? Whether we're talking Vancouver, Vegas, LA, or in the central, you know, Winnipeg, Dallas, Colorado, who we'll talk about next, just picking up that point against teams trying to play catch up is, is valuable because with the way the point system set up, even though LA ends up losing to Edmonton. Edmonton gained a point on that third place Pacific Division team. It's not good. Like they have to win in regulation to really get a dent into the standings. So, from an LA perspective, oh, well, you know what? They lost in the shootout. It's a skills competition. You know, if they hit the net, probably goes in. But yeah, they, I think
0: McDavid and Drysell have been playing out of their minds lately too. So, that's been a huge Well, they difference.
1: carried the team. They really did. Yeah. That was them putting them on their backs and winning that game for them.
0: It's just so crazy because like the Kings are all over them, right? And like, just nasty. Like Kempe had a nasty goal and fucking Fiala had
1: a crazy goal. Like Who's stopping that shot from That Fiala? one tee? That was nice, man. That was a beautiful setup, too. Well, he's a goal scorer. And I think Kempe, you should stop that with the guy flying up the wall. But it's still a good goal. I so that's why think- I keep going back
0: to that deal. I feel like when we talk about win-win trades, I think the, getting Fiala is huge for the Kings. And I feel like obviously going back the other way, was that, uh, was it Boldy? No, or, Brock Faber. Uh, Faber, Brock Faber, who I've grown to have a lot more respect for after watching him play a couple of games this week. But uh, yeah, it's a win-win trade because Fiala is a difference maker. He's a game breaker for them.
1: Just want to say Vegas is Florida, the Islanders and Colorado coming up. Probably maybe do a podcast before Vegas plays Colorado. It's give or take, depending on the way the schedule is and the way our schedules are. And LA has Toronto, Detroit, Washington, and Tampa Bay on deck.
0: The real question is, will the real Avalanche please stand up? Will they stand up and have a great game against the Knights? Because you know? that could be the game of the week for sure.
1: We thought that the last time in Vegas just destroyed that's them.
0: That's what I'm saying. <laughs> so they owe them one.
1: <laughs> but even that, that's really a week out like that's into next week. That's why I said we may even drop a podcast before that we get to that point. Now, Dallas and Winnipeg are tied in points as we move to the centralization of the Central Division, and the action or process of bringing activities together in one place is the definition of centralization, which basically is what I looked up for Dallas, Winnipeg, and Colorado. Literally, by points, Colorado is a point ahead of Dallas and Winnipeg. However, they played two more games... And none of these teams really lose very often. So with the games in hand by point percentage, Dallas and Winnipeg are equal to each other at a 686 point percentage with identical 22-9-4 and records. Theoretically, you would think Dallas would be put in the standings ahead of Winnipeg because they've won the head-to-head meeting. Yeah. Wrong answer. Regulation wins is the first tiebreaker in the NHL. Love it. It's how Colorado won the President's Trophy over Vegas in the... um the That's real, how it should be. Like, the let's real be serious, though. You, yeah. shouldn't,
0: you shouldn't win the fucking President's Trophy because you have more overtime losses. That's shenanigans.
1: Yeah. The tiebreaker for a team is regulation wins. Winnipeg has 20, Dallas has 15. That's why when you look at the standings, Winnipeg is put ahead of Dallas, even though Dallas has won the head-to-head. Now, if they had a regulation win identical record, I believe it is then gold differential and then the head to head meeting. That would really, be... yeah, they've got seven different tiebreakers in order to basically I definitely
0: would have thought that they would have had the head to it would have been head to head and then say if that was tied, then they go to gold differential. That makes way more sense.
1: No, it's not even the second one. It's like three or four down where it's finally the head-to-head meeting between the teams.
0: That's interesting. I don't think many people know that shit. So. Well, yeah, and I figured
1: figured not too many people would know that. Dallas had their loss in St. Louis after the Christmas break, two-to-one road loss in St. Louis. Dallas had a 40-to-30 shot on goal advantage in the one-goal loss in St. Louis. And again, St. Louis otherwise has not really had a very good week. They get a 5-4 home overtime win to Chicago as the teams play in Dallas twice to before the new year. Rope Hints had a hat trick in the Friday matchup, including the overtime game-winning goal with about 20 seconds left. And then Sunday was the 8-1 home drubbing of Chicago. That one had Mason Marchment with a hat trick. as well as an assist, versus Chicago on points night for Dallas Stars.
0: Yeah, especially that third line, quote-unquote, right? Like in Duchesne and Sagan.
1: Now, Dallas, this is interesting for both Winnipeg and Colorado. Dallas will play Montreal, then six versus Central Division teams in a row. They're going to play Colorado. They're going to play Nashville. They're going to play Minnesota twice and go from there but six in a row divisional matchups after Montreal to start off January.
0: That's a big way to start off the new year can really separate the gap between themselves and those teams at least. Right.
1: Yeah. And from a Winnipeg perspective, having Dallas and Colorado have matchups means, well, maybe they're three point games, but if their regulation wins, one team isn't getting points. The other one is that's of interest even to Winnipeg fans that those teams are going to match up and see how that goes I feel Very like right now
0: already people are looking at colorado and dallas and seeing if they won pretty much every game
1: yeah and for the most part they have been winning every game or finding way to bank points the anomaly for dallas is that losing in regulation in st louis that is a surprise but otherwise they get points to chicago who's irrelevant but banking points where we'll talk about Colorado after Winnipeg, but the same thing, they managed to pick points up in this stretch. These teams are all neck and neck with each other, because I just gave you the Dallas-Winnipeg record, Colorado's 23-11, 349 points, that one extra point, but two extra games played, plus 23 goal differential for Colorado, plus 29 goal differential for Winnipeg, plus 21 goal differential for Dallas, and the point percentage for Colorado is 662 instead of 686. Colorado's played more games. They have only got an extra point. Really, they sit third. Yeah,
0: I think it's going to go down to a photo finish, though, for sure. Oh yeah, I feel like it's going to be. I got Dallas and Winnipeg fighting for the division because Colorado's been so inconsistent. They kick the shit out of teams and then they get smoked, you know.
1: But they're they're still there. You have to call. You still have to call. That's what I'm saying. It's a trio. Like you have to say these three teams all have the chance to. There's not a wagon here. All these teams are equally good, have a chance to win a division. And there's an advantage to not playing the other team in this mix by finishing first. That might be the only argument. Mind you, at the end of the day, you still have to go through these teams anyway. So, you know, I don't know if a series against Nashville, Arizona, or heaven forbid, Edmonton, you know, ends up getting one of those wildcard spots is advantageous. If you're one of these three teams, is it not better just to face them head-to-head than have to worry about Edmonton and whatever goalie they pick up at the deadline?
0: Yeah, I don't know, man. Like, I think the more entertaining, more competitive would be obviously Colorado, Winnipeg, or Dallas, Winnipeg, Colorado, Dallas. But uh, I know Edmonton has been on a heater, but... Yeah, they don't have the goaltending. It really depends on like what quality of upgrade they do, if they actually do it, and what else it costs them out of their current lineup. I don't know. I, I still, I think for sure, like you we were, you asked me last week if I believed in Edmonton. Do I believe they'll make the playoffs? I do, but I still don't really believe that they'll go far because I, I just don't think they have enough depth. They can't roll four lines. They roll like one and a half, two.
1: Not to double back, but watching Vegas, LA, I want that. Like I was thinking, and because you brought up Edmonton, it reminds me of how many first-round matchups Edmonton and LA played, isn't it? The like the last two years or three years now. Yeah, and I watched the Vegas LA game, this recent one, and I thought it was such a great game. And I'm like, yeah, give me a series of this, please.
0: Man, that's tough. That's a ter- tough first-round matchup for either one of those teams
1: and that would like in my theory right so if edmonton gets in and vancouver could stay on top that could lead to all canadian edmonton vancouver series which as goofy as that sounds is very unpredictable and at least gets one of them to the second round and i don't know maybe you want to finish first in the central so you get arizona because that's probably who the other team is or nashville oh
0: yeah you definitely wanted it's one of those teams
1: well, even Edmonton getting in, that's probably going to be who gets the other spot is Arizona and or Nashville, really.
0: Like, really, like, Zona is kind of pushing their way up closer to that top three than the other teams, I feel like. like Oh,
1: there's a gap.
0: Yeah, they're pretty legit. I feel like I have them locked in for seventh.
1: Yeah, maybe seventh. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah and I think
0: seventh. the other teams, like Nashville and Edmonton, are fighting for
1: eighth. eighth. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, okay. Yeah, I get that. Yeah. This isn't really stats-driven. This is really in that concept of it and it's worth talking about whether seating matters and like the colorado and dallas i don't think seeding yeah. matters and i don't know why it should matter to winnipeg either i think it's fans, fans i want think your for fans they, they want, want to a lot fans. more to
0: jets fans than it would mean to stars fans or avalanche avalanche just win the won the cup a couple years ago and so, like, they don't give a shit about winning a division title, I don't think. I mean, they'd like to, but it doesn't really matter. You know, in Dallas, they've been close to the President's Trophy year in, year out, right? Like, I don't know if they care about a division title, but the Jets have never won one, not as this version. And they haven't really won fucking anything, even even 1.0 Jets, since, like, they won those Avco Cups, I should say, right? Oh, so, yeah. Like, since they, we were, they were in the NHL, they didn't win shit. Uh, They were always like fucking Mm. the little brothers to the Edmonton Oilers, right? That's why you You hate the Oilers, or you did for a long time, Mm -hmm. right?
1: It is a Gorecki winning it way too much narrative and always knocking Winnipeg out. Right. Like my childhood is when Gorecki's team beats the Jets. You think about the late Dale Howarchuk, probably the second best player of that time, and they always got eliminated every playoffs. Yeah, and they
0: even had that they were up three nothing one time, right in the series, yeah. and then the boss collapsed. Yeah, just epic collapse. But I don't really feel those times as much because I think I'm a couple years younger than you, uh, yeah. not much, but a couple. And I feel like
1: because of that, well, I, I was still young. Like the I was still era I remember
0: I was isn't, isn't I don't really remember the Howard, Howard Chuck era, man. I remember like for me, it, my first like falling in love with hockey was Timo Solani, yeah, Lexi Jaminoff. Phil Housley, Tepo Newman.
1: And- My younger sister would, was a big team of Solani fan. Cause again, yeah. there's just that there's yeah. enough of a gap there to know it.
0: That's yeah. what I mean. So I never felt that fucking, I hate the Oilers. So, cause when the jets left, I told you this before, when they left, I was devastated. Obviously I was 10 years old and I ended up in a couple of years later ended up just becoming an Oilers fan because they were like an underdog team. And I love the underdog mentality. And right. I felt like I had that myself so I connected with them and liked a team that was willing to kind of like fight tooth and nail, even though they didn't have superstars. You know what I mean?
1: Especially when you think about now, like, right. So Winnipeg gets their team back and who does Edmonton get in the drafts right around that time is Connor McDavid. Like yeah. this, it, this was a trigger spot for Jets fans. Oh good. We'll have a competitive team and lose to McDavid and Edmonton in the playoffs every year again.
0: Yeah. Like once again, here, here we are like, we have really good players, solid players that we're excited about, but they have the the next superstar. One. Oh, yeah.
1: But those Oilers teams going back and, well, understanding hockey better, there's a lot more to it. There was, you know, the Mark Messier. There was Yari Curry. They did have Paul Coffey on defense. For sure. Right. Like,
0: Mark Messier was like the – he was the Melkin to, to the Crosby. Crosby, you know? yeah. And he—he's he, that second guy that was right there, upper echelon player. Then uh, he had a, the sniper beside him, and Yari Curry was unbelievable. And then Paul coffee was like—they
1: just I don't, don't know, have, have their Grant defense. Fury yet in this this current iteration of the Oilers. They don't have their Grant Fury yet.
0: Yeah, I think I think that like the Oilers kind of have that mentality. I think it's also like a money crunch because of how they distributed their money, right? But like, I feel like. What I've seen from Skinner lately, he's been playing better. Even fucking, what's his face that they scooped up that we're kind of like joking about originally. He's got a couple of dubs now. Skinner just has to be good enough to like get to get by. But I'm not scared of them. Are you? Are you nervous about uh, from if you take it from a Jets fans perspective, or if you go from Dallas or Colorado, are you nervous about the Oilers in a in a series
1: of the teams that could end up in a wild card spot? Who is the yeah. most unpredictable with? top end talent loaded
0: i kind of feel like the reds as far as like having saros can steal a game you know can steal games can he, st- he might even be able to steal yeah, a series. i, I steal don't a know series. but yeah if, you, if a- you stay disciplined against the oilers i feel like they're more than beatable but yeah they do have the, those dynamic stars for sure and they do draw more penalties but playoff hockey is kind of different you know and yeah i don't know maybe they should be more nervous about them but they still have to jump a few teams right to
1: Well, they're in the mix. Okay, so let's talk about the top six here and rattle this out with the other two in the central. We talked about Dallas. We'll move on to Winnipeg. They also, like Dallas did, had a 2-1 road overtime loss, but they did pick up a point in Chicago. We'll talk about that later. They then had their home-and-home with Minnesota. 4-2 home win to Minnesota, followed by on both teams back-to-back with travel, 3-2 road win in minnesota absolutely big wins for winnipeg because they're divisional games again although i'm telling you all western conference games are, are big nino niederreiter had two goals saturday in the win of minnesota as the third line pops off and it was dominic conanato with the game winning goal his first of the year in the sunday game on those back-to-backs in the win in minnesota Axel got a huge insurance goal too, so those third and fourth lines were unreal.
0: Both both those games against the Wild, they were the difference. Like the top line that was absolutely shredding teams apart and putting up points like crazy. That they, they definitely didn't know show. They played well, but they weren't able. Like Valari had a chance in the four two game to put in a tap and backdoor that he didn't do. Scheife couldn't find the net. Yeah, same deal. They hit a few posts here and there, but it was the guys. Nino stepped up huge. And I heard uh in the last five games against the wild, he has five goals. He plays very well against his his old team. Yeah. You know, and uh yeah, and and like Flurry, he came into the game because Gustafson goes down, right? And yeah. then Flurry made that unbelievable save against Nino to steal his like stop him from getting a hat trick and like putting the game away. Yeah, like really separating. So that was that was a great game, I thought it was physical. And then the second game was even more physical, like Props to the wild, they came out with a purpose, and the Jets pushed back. And once again, their third, fourth lines kind of uh withstood what to me. What stood out to me is like I used to think of the wild like they've never been a chip team, but that they've been a solid playoff team every year. And they during the regular season they find a way to grind teams down and and win close games, right? And the Jets. Yep have been that kind of Jekyll and Hyde team for years now. This is the first year that they haven't played like that, I feel like, Mm -hmm. right, quite a long time. And what I felt like watching that game was the Jets, to me, look like the Wild, like how the Wild play as far as, like, they can take a punch and not get knocked down, and they can give it back. They don't quit, right? They just keep playing their style of hockey. They play the way they need to to win the game. They're grinding on the boards. They weren't trying to make fancy plays or – kind of playing outside themselves and getting frustrated, and they didn't take stupid penalties that they could have. Bogosian tried to draw Nino into a little fight. It's like that's not an even swap, Bogosian. You're barely in the NHL still, and Nino's like, fuck you, and I'll just hit you five seconds or three seconds later against the boards and finish my check. You know what I'm saying? And uh, just this third and fourth line, just like dominating cycles, uh, capitalizing again, like probably one of the players of the week. What's was the bottom six? was What's the it?
1: bottom six that won it. Well, it if was. If I told oh, you, that's what I'm saying, yeah. If I told you, like I know you called it that Winnipeg would take both these games, and I was like looking at the schedule, and I know how Winnipeg is. You know, it seems like on holidays when they go to Minnesota over Thanksgiving, they always threw a dud. This year, this was more solid. But on top of it, if we said to you, okay, Shifley's going to have no points, Velarde yep. and the top line yep, is nothing, but they still were playing and. All due respect to Nick Ehlers, It's almost like now that he's on that top line, he's responded with this two-way play because his defensively they were very good. And yeah, they didn't fully bought in,
0: right? Yeah. They're not cheating for offense. They have faith in the rest of their team as well. That's important, right? Trusting your teammates that you don't have to like um wear all of it on your shoulders and you don't have to do everything and press in spots where you should, you know, sit back and be defensive. Exactly. So, dump the puck in when you need to get a line change. Let trust your teammates to come on and play well. So Tannanato, that was the that was like one of the that was one of the best games of his career. I feel like, he, you know, coming back that story's great. This kid for guys that are outside the market that don't know, it's like this guy Tannanato. He's played what seventy-seven games in the league, I think something like that, or a couple of years ago he played that, but yep. he hasn't. He's been he's been out of the league the last two years essentially. And have, wasn't playing any games. He came in because of injury. Otherwise, he wouldn't be playing. He's got three points in three games. He's been a plus three this week. He got the game-winning goal on a in the blue paint, like hard-working, gritty goal. He knocks the puck in, and uh, in the dying seconds of that game, he has that huge block where he's sacrificing. And It's one of those ones where you know you're gonna take it most likely in a bad spot. You might break your. You could break a finger. I broke my. I broke my middle finger walking a shot essentially the same way that he dropped to the ice to, uh, at the end of that game. And this he's is a like now we're looking player at the 15th forward or something like that for the jets, fifteenth, sixteenth, something like that.
1: Yeah. So
0: those he's guys a are player. Youth.
1: He's a debt player. That's taken the fact that he's going to be in the American hockey league as much as he's going to be in the NHL, but he still wants to play the game. And he does have those bursts. Like this is about comparable to him getting the nod in the, North Division, you know, realigned playoffs where he get the one goal in the Edmonton series in that four game sweep where he just kind of popped out of nowhere, contributes in a solid way, but then can't stick around and be a regular fourth liner at the NHL level. But this is I best feel like he loved. could for a lot of teams now. Like I think he has that in his game. He's got that club in his bag.
0: He's he knows who he is as a player. He's had to fight through a lot of adversity. And it's just right now it's funny because a lot of people in Winnipeg are talking about oh who comes out of the lineup when they're healthy. is coming back right away. Who's going to come out of the lineup? And like people are loving how Axel's playing. Like, well, he's going to come up, he's been playing good his best hockey as a jet. But that's a great problem to have. You know, when yeah. you have guys when you were talking last week about Dallas's depth and about having a couple guys in the AHL that would be on other teams right now yeah. that can play in the NHL. But right now, because of how good their team is, they can't find their way into a game. And I think yep. the Jets have a bunch of those kind of players right now, including young guys. Like you're talking about like the Brad Lamberts and then uh, Chipper calls that are getting like appointed game players in the AHL right now, but there is discussion. Do we bring up a top six type player to fill the void when Kyle Connor goes away, or do you readjust the lines and just bring in a bottom six guy, which is what they ended up doing. They felt that was easier. And then just like uh, moving other guys up the line kind of thing.
1: But it's worked out that the bottom six production has actually gone up and been impactful. And the same thing, though, if you think about it, because, you know, Kapari is going to come back at some point. Axel knows that. Dominic Tondinato knows that. And they're playing their best games. Like Gustafson's on the injured list right now, too. So when you look at that group, they're saying, you know, keep us up here and not have us be the, the 13th, 14th forward. It's a good problem to have, but it's organizational depth that again, you have to credit back to actually the Dubois trade at the end of the day, because that's three NHL playable forwards, even though Capari's hurt right now, that pushes Axel and Tondinato from being everyday players to being the 13th, 14th, 15th, 16th forward on the team. Yeah, I think you go back
0: to that. I think you go back to that cop deal. You got Morgan Barron, who's the constant. Like this kid's turned into a stud player that has. He's got a high ceiling to score. I'd say he can be a 15 goal scorer in the league for sure. Maybe 21 day, but right now he's like he's that constant on a fourth line for a young guy. They keep bringing new line mates on, and he just they just follow his lead, right? And he's, yeah, he's it- producing... producing he you got a sixth goal the other day. Like he's not. Lighting it up like crazy, but he's doing everything you need, being a really good guy on the PK.
1: And uh,
0: yeah. But I the depth has doing. him
1: on fourth line instead of third line. Exactly. Yeah. That, that's I mean, why I'm saying that forward depth pushed everything back. Morgan Barron is capable of being a third line NHLer. The only time he gets to do that is right after uh Jets power play. And he'll get yeah. out there with Lowry and Appleton for a shift. And the they don't miss line. a beat,
0: right? Like when he's on that line right after, they usually pressure and get cycle time down low. And
1: and, and play that's well. because Nino's been on the second power play unit. And but Morgan's played well, but he's playing a line down from where he was slotted again because you add those three guys into your top 12. How many I mean, tell he played do so that? well
0: that when the injury first happened, they rolled him up to the second line, just to, it- he only played one game there. And they brought him back down. But the point is that they believe that he could potentially play there because of the way he's playing, you know? And uh, DeMello, I don't know if you know this, uh, it was on the broadcast, said he's plus 22, second in the league. Like, you and I still kind of believe in the plus minus. More yeah. than most people, I think. That's I did pretty see relevant, that. Right? And then Dylan, worth mentioning, 92 hits, second most in the NHL. So it's like these guys have all stepped up their game playing well. Even the guys we like to rip sometimes. Well, the guy. We don't really rip Sch- Sandberg, but... Schmidt, right? I kind of have a tendency to shit on him a little bit, but, like, apparently they have the best per 60, um, the least goals scored against as a combo. You know that, Sandberg and Schmidt?
1: I didn't know. I just know that of late, yeah. Nate Schmidt has not been as much of a liability as he was earlier in the year.
0: Yeah, well, those are the, those are the facts. Like, I feel like you and I both, like, we kind of – I mean, at times, Schmidt has been – Frustrating, it feels like, and he wasn't adding getting nothing. He went forever without a point, right? It was like borderline comical at some point. But yeah. But
1: on that forward group, Warren, and you mentioned about Namasnikov getting at the deadline sticking around, Nino Nino Ryder at the deadline, sticking around, and then three LA Kings. That is five yes. of a playing 12 that turns over for the Jets. And the reason they can play four lines this year versus the reason they didn't play four lines last year is that, and of course, the development of having a healthy Cole Perfetti, as well as David Gustafson, with another year basically being able to be an NHLer every day as well.
0: And none and- of those guys that got sent down hanging in their head, bitching and moaning, asking for a trade, uh, Stanley, right? Like, they, none of those guys did that. They just went down, worked hard, played well. And then when the opportunity presented itself, they fucking grinded. They worked hard, you know, because they, they're they playing like their hair is on fire because they know they want to move themselves up that depth chart, right? Like, they know they're all competing with each other, even though they're playing on the same line. Axel knows he's competing with Tana and Addo. They know Kapari's close to coming back, right? Yep. So, and like you said, Gus... Like they're all in the mix together, and when healthy, or if they make a move, like Casey's coming back in the lineup, when that happens, one of them is going down for sure, and there could be a couple of them uh, down by the HL, you know, after the trade deadline. So they want to be that last guy standing kind of thing, you know.
1: So Nino Niederreiter has a chip on his shoulder. I just want to finish off Winnipeg with a little Nino Niederreiter because he also did stops through Minnesota and Nashville. But I want you to hear this, Warren. So he's a first-rounder, fifth overall pick by the Isles in 2010. The Islanders traded Nino to Minnesota for forward Cal Clutterbuck. Cal Clutterbuck, you probably don't think much of, and I didn't think much of. He ended up being really a solid, like... He's a great physical defensive player, yeah. Yeah, but his career high in goals was 19 goals in a single season. And... That was one year in Minnesota before the trade, but eleven seasons in the league, over a thousand games played for Cal Clutter-Bot. However, Minnesota did do a one-for-one deal with Carolina that traded Nina Ryder off of Minnesota for forward Victor Rask. It's an awful trade for Minnesota. They oh, save w- they save one point two five million in a deal. Rask had one 20-goal season in Carolina prior to the trade. Nino was a three-time 20-goal scorer with his career-high 25, and the other two years, double digits, 18 and 14 goals. He had nine at the time he was traded to Carolina and 46 games played. He ended up getting 14 goals in 36 games the rest of the season in Carolina for 23 goals on that year, another 20-goal year. He then had two more 20-goal seasons in Carolina before signing a two-year $4 million per unrestricted free agent deal with Nashville, and had 18 goals in the first year of that deal before he was dealt to Winnipeg. And no offense to Nino Niederreiter, he got saddled with Ryan Johansson the entire time he was in Nashville. If you wonder how hard it is to produce, have Ryan Johansson as your center, See how that works out. Talk to Colorado fans. But he added another six goals in Winnipeg for another 24 goals, one off of his career high again last year. So that's, if you're counting, Warren, a career in the NHL with seven years over 20 goals, some of them had to be with two teams in the same year, but seven total seasons over 20 goals. He's on pace this year, to he's projected to score 28 and have 52 yeah, points no yeah. big deal like, so that would be a career high in goals and a three-year extension with winnipeg that starts next year because this is the last year the four million deal signed by david Toyle in nashville is to be again four mil over the next three for like a guaranteed 20 goals every season you know you can lock it but seven years of his career he's done it and one of those he was two off of it And that one of those 20 goal years is in the 56 shortened schedule and he still put up 20 in, in Carolina. Yeah,
0: no doubt. So like you said, probably got a little bit of a chip on his shoulder. You know, I love the fact that I didn't know some things you don't know when they don't play on your team. You don't watch them all the time. I didn't realize how much of an edge he played with, you know, before he, before he came to win a big, mm -hmm. very physical player, very smart, like really defensively sound. Eh, so and the crazy part is uh actually Sawyer from the Jets broadcast brings it up a lot and it's true in junior he was an absolute stud that's why he's like top 5 pick right cuz he put up huge yeah. points in junior and he was like that first line player and right? and so some people look at be like oh he never turned into that first line player but like man he can play both sides of the puck and he hasn't lost offense he just the NHL game's a different game and a lot of people can't adjust like, let's look no farther than Nick Patan, who played, who's playing on the Wild, who ripped it up and put up a billion points in junior. And he's a different body for sure, but, like, wasn't able to translate. And that happens all the time where guys can't translate that offense. But he went from being a offensive first to being a really good two-way player. So he can never have too many of those. And I think those two deals, like you mentioned, that Nemestikov and Nito, like, at the time, it was kind of in Winnipeg. It was a bit of a, okay, cool. I guess, like, how come you didn't get Barbashev? How come you didn't go get Tarasenko? Right? Remember that feeling, that vibe in the city, like it was disappointing, and people were pissed off. And then resign them, resign them, and uh, yeah, they just they're they're part of the culture now, the core.
1: It's Another part of the 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 conversation about players not wanting to stay in Winnipeg, and yet, how many teams had guys that they did pick up as rentals that end up sticking around? Winnipeg yeah, had no doubt. Winnipeg had both of them. And valuable parts to the team this year it's worth saying it
0: might have been wrong all along or it's definitely changing at minimum you know what i mean like at some it, point that might have been part of the equation but like i really don't feel like i feel like now it's they've proved that these guys re-signing that like that's kind of a bullshit narrative that's just because, easy to go to you know
1: yeah victor Ras, by the way ended up being dumped off on a salary to seattle and never even I don't even think he played a game. It it was buried. He had 22 goals. those milk
0: carton guys, where is he now?
1: Yeah, well, he isn't playing in the league now. 22 goals total for his time in Minnesota, which in a single season in Carolina, Nita Ryder produced. You're talking about 34-plus goals because I know it was more than 20 one of those years in Carolina. So he outproduced Rask. And that style of that, you know, Carolina comes in waves. Yeah. When Carolina was one of their best at doing that, you know, Nino Niederreiter was part of that team. He's been with like Rob Brindamore in that style. He's bringing that same type of comparative t- t- tenaciousness, right? Yeah. And that's Rick bonus wants that. And it's almost to me, Rick bonus, Dallas got stuck in that realignment the one year and bonus was a coach that year they divisionally played against tampa bay carolina and florida eight times and then subsequently then they go back to the central division and it's a different setup but that one year dallas really was a team that could match up with those type of teams and the type of systems that rick bonus took away from is from eight games of Florida, eight games of Tampa, eight games of Carolina. And the Dallas team after that you see prior to the coaching change, but still, when you look at who took over, they still have slight variations, but that Dallas roster is built like those Eastern competitively good year after year after year after year, after year teams. Rick Bonus brought that to Winnipeg. This forward group now and yeah, the defense is, is stepped up in a way, too. But that forward group and the style of play, it's straight out of looking at those teams that were consistently the Rob Brindamore, the Cooper coach teams that they matched up against a lot with. Those were great games to watch back in those years. And Dallas found a way, having gone to the final against in the in the bubble. Sorry, it was the bubble. But the year after, then having to play in the same division with those guys eight times we moving on with it from the Jets. I just want to
0: say that Larry scores his 100th goal of his career in Flurry's 1,000th game. And just Larry being the kind of guy that he is, jokes around after the game that uh, it better not take him another decade to score 200 goals because it took too long, basically, to score the first 100. Just funny being self-deprecating the way he is.
1: Look ahead for Winnipeg, Tampa Bay, San Jose, Anaheim, Arizona, and Columbus.
0: I don't know how you feel, but I feel like they should run the table with those games. Tampa is going to be coming out hot because they want to get Winnipeg back from when they lost and flo- when they lost to them at home. Right?
1: And it seems because so long Jets ago.
0: Seems so long ago, but I'm sure it's still there. They're that kind of team, and they've been playing better hockey. So we'll see. You got to get to beat them, but then that that stretch, those games after those are. I feel like if you lose two of those, that's not what you want. You should maybe lose one, but I feel like they can pretty much run the table.
1: Personally, when you look at teams that they lost to. Yeah, the oh, Sharks, it, the Habs, it, it and the is. Hawks. And they're 10-1-2 yeah.
0: in December, and they lost to the garbage teams. So yeah. it does happen. I just
1: So I'm not really excited. I rather would like to see Vegas and Boston. And... <laughs> yeah, it brings up the best in them. <laughs> For sure.
0: Pump the Bruins, but lose to the fucking what? Sharks.
1: Go figure, right? That's yeah. hockey,
0: though. Well, we're
1: at the Avs right now. 5-4 right. uh, road overtime loss to Arizona. Avs blow the four-goal second period lead to give up five and lose in overtime Alex Gorgia five goals against 22 saves in the overtime loss and Arizona's who we're talking about next but there's a gap in the points and we'll again another team that lost that first game out of the break that had to travel but only Colorado had a four goal lead in the game and then found a way to throw it away yeah
0: that's next level and that's definitely not like championship material for a team that won the cup two years ago that's just baffling, you know. Um, four hasn't I
1: watched that game. game and it's weird because it sneaks up on you. There's one thing about that, and we talked about the comeback. I said four nothing second period lead, but Arizona did before the end of the second have Lawson Kraus, who's now their leading goal scorer, get that goal.
0: You and, got one in tight, yeah,
1: yeah, and then they got three in the third. And get the, the winner in overtime. But we should talk about Colorado from a Colorado perspective. Gorgiev. Colorado
0: fan perspective. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Colorado fan perspective, Colorado perspective, right? Because we'll talk about Arizona in the comeback. I just want to say that Gorgiev led a couple goals in there that shouldn't go in in the third period. Yeah. They have better goaltending. They still win that game. I really think you can hang that on him now the compete level of Colorado checking out in the third as well, just trying to sit on that lead. Oh
0: yeah. Like that, you know, when, um, Byram gets burnt behind the net from, uh, Zucker. Zucker. Yeah. So Zucker just burns them behind the net. You know what I'm talking about? And then he comes around, around and wraps it in. Like that was brutal. Like, you know, like you got to, the body on the guy and and push him up against the boards get your stick like there's there's, it seems like like a just kind of lethargic. is
1: is that not one you want to have gorgiev like because that goes on the far side yeah it's it's a bit of column a a
0: bit of column b bro to be honest
1: he's got to kick his pad out
0: and stop the puck. (laughs) yeah yeah yeah, you do (laughs) yeah you do you know like that. Like, a- it might be what you're saying though, too. Remember, like early on, you were talking about how they need to have a backup goalie they could rely on to have him play less because he's never really had to carry the load before, right? Not on this level. It might just be that he might be a little bit worn down, not just like physically but mentally. You'd think the Christmas break would help with that a little bit, but you know, I don't know. Just in general, <laughs> I think with the team they have, you just can't
1: get like a four goal lead. Well, it shouldn't. And I like Arizona, and I'm not discounting Arizona's effort and the continuation to keep playing and they do that's the way they're coached but from a colorado perspective if you have a goaltender that's gonna make at least one of two saves i think the zucker goal is a good example and potentially even a tying goal by jersey and or the cross goal the first one
0: fuck that mm-hmm. no look pass by jersey the buddy in the slot that he i can't remember who it was he buried it it's a great pass he was no looked. That was sick. Jersey had a huge game. He had like three points. Do you not
1: talk about a pickup, right? Yeah. Now, Colorado had a 2 1 road win in St. Louis. Again, not the first game after the break. This one, that Warren, I'm telling you, that was like a snooze fest. I did watch that game too. Holy oh, dynamite. Ryan, Ryan Johansson, a goal and an assist in the win. They actually, Colorado also had a called back goal in that game. So they looked to have taken the lead but it was called back for goalie interference that's what i wanted to tell you about that game oh yeah because it's curtis mcdermott who again logs a whopping 424 time on ice for the whole game including basically getting goalie interference by taking away the josh manson opening goal because he interferes with the goalie place 424 finds a way to have be in the play that gets the disallowed first goal to make that game closer than it was. McKinnon gifted St. Louis's only goal on the power play. Robert Thomas gets a breakaway, beats Gorgiev, but they find a way to win. And a 3-1 home win to San Jose. Valnish Nushkin goal and assist in the win over San Jose. They played more structurally to that. Here's a key about this Colorado-San Jose game. 33-11 were the shots on goal. 3 to one for Colorado, and they won 3-1. to one. A little nugget for that's you. That's
0: crazy, man. 11 shots in a professional hockey game. I can't remember the last time I heard something like that.
1: Yeah, for the whole game, that's like... For a whole a game, that's... That is the... That's the shots for the game. <laughs> <laughs> not a period. That also says
0: something. The only won 3 one like, fucking... I feel like the Avs got to pump the Sharks, you know?
1: I don't think so right now. I think it's being more... Responsible to their system and not going rogue, like the complaints that Devon Taves had about it, like when he was saying, "Guys can't just, dis- We have a structure. We have a system. If I don't know where this guy's going to be on the ice, that's a problem." Yeah, for sure. I'm just saying. Didn't uh, didn't the
0: snows with the stars just pump Chicago? Chicago eight <laughs> one. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I feel like you can play structurally and still pump the bad team.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, and you can but for Colorado actually having Gorgiev only allow two goals in the last two games and have them be wins is actually better than losing 5 to 4 like there's yeah. a there's a reason why these are one goal against games where Colorado doesn't score as much but oh look they didn't give it up either that's winning to playoff style like i think Colorado finally got Jared Bednar's message about towing the rope or Devon Taves towing the rope message, whatever it was, right? That's my thoughts on that. Okay, Colorado look ahead. The Isles, Dallas, Florida, Boston, Vegas. Some big games for Colorado systematically, right? Islanders, boring defensive team. Dallas, structurally sound. Florida, Boston, Vegas. Colorado's That's a got tough
0: a- stretch. Yeah.
1: Wow. This is where... I look at Colorado and especially that they're going to play. One team could get zero, or you know, the two-one split right in the Dallas, Colorado. But they're not all going to win. Win out the next stretch. Arizona, I've put ahead of Nashville. We'll talk about the uh, those teams leading the wild card pack. as we got coyotes or a pack of coyotes and predators have a some sort of animal. Nashville by points is a point ahead of Arizona having played two more games. By point percentage, Arizona's better. 35 games played, 19-4-2, 40 points, plus 11-goal differential, 571-point percentage. Nashville, by comparison, two more games played, 20-16, won 41 points. Regulation wins the same at 14, but a 554-point percentage. So Nashville by points is in the first wild card. Arizona by point percentage would be. That's how close they are. The other game that Arizona had was a 2 0 road win in Anaheim. From that Arizona perspective, five different goal scorers. Sean Dersey did have a great game. Jack McBain with a bunt of a tip on the overtime game winning goal in that Colorado win. Really yeah, and I'm did. telling
0: you right now, like the complete opposite of everything you just said or we just said about the Avalanche and their perspective, their fans' perspective, maybe a little bit of worry about this team. Going forward, like when you look at the coyotes, they have a few signature wins this year. And regardless of how whether the Avalanche kind of blew it and made some mistakes mentally and and everything, the fact is they were down four-nothing to a cup contender and came back and won that game. So I mean, there's a lot to build off there. You can have confidence. I mean, hey, say Colorado does win the central division and they are up there. They could have a chance of playing the coyotes in the first round. The Coyotes can walk into that series. They've played them hard this year, right? So I feel like...
1: I like the Coyotes' goaltending better than Colorado's.
0: For sure. Yeah, definitely more consistent.
1: Just think about this. Ivan Prosvitov, who is the waiver-wire Colorado pickup backup goalie because Francois is out for the year. He's done. That's who Colorado picked up as Arizona's AHL third stringer who wasn't making the team ahead of Connor Ingram or Karel Vamilka. And Gorgiev is the starter, and Gorgiev, to me, is overworked, and he has lapses. He's the number one reason why Colorado lost in the first round. Philip Grubauer outplayed Alex Gorgiev.
0: Yeah, they're going to have to play their backup goalie in the stretch that you just mentioned with the avalanche, right? That, that's a tough schedule. They're going to have to play their backup in those games, too. And yeah. they, they're very top heavy minutes-wise, right? So they're going to have to get production from that bottom six, and they they're going to have to eat up some minutes or they're just going to fucking wipe themselves out.
1: It is. And they keep thinking, well, okay, they get, I should have mentioned this, by the way, in the San Jose game, Sam Girard did return to the lineup for his first game back out of the program. That's good. And that makes a difference to their defense immensely. They are going to get Arturi Lekinen back at some point as well, which will help with their depth as well. However, they keep talking about you know, wanting to get another second line center because of Ryan Johansson, even despite him having a couple points in the St. Louis game, he still didn't really play that well, even putting up points. But yeah, and as you he, said
0: with the coyotes, they're they're getting healthier, right? Yeah, they're they
1: still be have not had Barrett Hayton in this stretch, who was playing top line center between Schmaltz and Keller, but they did get McBain back, and that's another center. But they also still don't have Travis Boyd, who's another center, bottom See, that guy. That, but that's still.
0: the reason right there. That's why I feel like they're a lock for the seventh, Matt. I feel like if they were fully healthy.
1: But the goaltending, Connor Ingham, 28 save shutout. That was his fourth of the year in the Anaheim win. He was solid start to finish.
0: Yeah, I'm right was, to that. Vemelka had a few good games in a row too, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. Vemelka did get back. And I think he had a shutout in that stretch when, on one of those games right before the Christmas break too. So they'll go back to this rotation with each of them going until one of them, you know, goes on more shutouts and more shutouts. They got a bit of a break. Actually, I think they probably go back to Ingram out of the break against Florida. Oddly enough, I do think they go back to Ingram because he kind of, of the two, was the guy that they've relied more heavily on. They have Florida, the Islanders, Winnipeg, and Boston on their dance card coming up in the beginning of January for Arizona. Nashville, like we said, had played all those Eastern teams. Here's what they did. They had a 5-2 home loss versus Carolina, 5-4 road overtime loss in Detroit, and then they got a 3-2 road shootout win in Washington. Nashville in a back-to-back, and they squeaked out one in Washington against a team that's, well, Washington's not really relevant this year, are they, in the East?
0: Yeah, not particularly.
1: UC Soros. Five goals against, 14 saves pulled after two periods versus Carolina. Backup Kevin Lankinen has been injured, so it was their top prospect and, I believe, top 10 pick, or was he 11th overall? The Russian Yaroslav Askarov, in a backup, came in relief, six saves. Saros then played in Detroit, five goals against, 18 saves. Shit. Forsberg. And Gus Nyquist, two-thirds the top line, had two goals to get that to extra time in the overtime loss in Detroit. The win in Washington, because it was back-to-back, was goalie Jarl Askarov's first win in the NHL. He did see games at least last year, I think, against Montreal and somebody else. He didn't win. But he, it's not his first NHL game, but his first NHL win. Two goals against 27 saves. If I remember correctly, Ascaroff goes. Is it before the centers or after the year that um, Rossi went to Minnesota and Perfetti went to Winnipeg? Nashville picked up Ascaroff. That was the 2020 draft. Rossi by Minnesota at nine. Perfetti by Winnipeg at ten. Ascaroff, Nashville at 11th overall, which was the uh, the only you know first round goalie expected, right? But a lot of teams took a pass on him including Jersey, who could really use a goaltender right now. You want to talk about Edmonton?
0: Sure, they're probably the last juicy topic. Yeah, I mean, like I said, they're, what, 13-3 uh, and three in their last 16 games and making headway, mm-hmm. pushing their way up the standings, which is critical after the big hole they put themselves into. And McDavid and Drysdale are on fire. And there was you know. the game I wanted to mention was Oilers versus the Ducks, where they smoked the Ducks. And Pickard was in that and got another W. They won 7-2. to two. McLeod got his fifth goal in five games, and...
1: Wasn't I boosting him last podcast telling you he was a bit of heater?
0: Yeah, that whole line now. Drysaddle with McLeod and Fogel. Like, is having a huge impact with them. Fogel actually, that game got two goals and three assists, bro. Drysaddle, yeah. a goal, and two five assists. So, Warren's fucking representing well.
1: Yeah. Big thing about that, Edmonton was on a back-to-back. Anaheim wasn't, and they pumped them.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah, the Ducks are... Now doing the thing, right? They're starting to tail off a little bit, uh, struggling. Ekholm pumped Strom in a fight, too. I don't know if you saw that. It's a big scrap. I've never seen that. You were happy
1: about that, weren't you, as a Jets fan? Are you not happy that Strom kind of got?
0: Yes. Yes, I was. That's why I pointed <laughs> it out. And I'm like, out of the way, Ekholm. I've never seen you fight before, but he kicked his ass and it felt good. Because Strom did that fucking dirty-ass hit.
1: Ekholm is he's one of those gentlemen of the game, but within the confines of the game, He's tough, he's mean, but he still plays the game honest.
0: Yes, he's very physical, right? I'm, like He's a gritty guy, but I don't remember ever seeing him fight before, to be honest. So I thought that was pretty cool. And uh, just something funny, the announcer from the Oilers, I can't remember what his name is, which guy it was. Is it, is it Simpson or no, somebody else? But uh, he kept saying, hickling the rafters for goals that go in high. Have you ever heard that? Was saying? that harder, Ryan? I'm not sure which one it was. But uh,
1: Harder Ryan sing with that sounds like something multiple
0: different. times, man. I that's saying because
1: Harder Ryan game. did the L.A. game, but the L.A. Edmonton game was Harder Ryan and uh, Louis DeBrusque. So did oh, I got
0: be- I got to mention there was a beauty behind the back past that game from your favorite Zegers. Oh yeah, right on the tape of Strom, hook a shot, rebound, and they end up cashing in a goal. But it was all made by that beautiful setup by Zegers.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Well, <laughs> that's to point out every time. Oh, of of that's like the social media for Chicago because this is like the end of it. Like, but <laughs> totally, they had the one goal they have in that eight-one loss. It's already <laughs> five nothing, but it was a really nice goal that was finished off by uh Kurshev. Yeah, and they so they post it up even though they're getting pumped. They post yeah. their one goal they get on how beautiful the goal was. And the comments are just ripping them. Yeah, look at the score. Five to one. Like, you know what I mean? Like, just ripping on them. That's about the same extent. It's a 7-2 game. Who cares about Zegris's pretty assist? Empty calorie points. That's Definitely. But triple
0: definitely worth mentioning every time he does something just for you, buddy.
1: <laughs> well, I know. Just wait triple for the Zgris. Anaheim section. We can, prior to that Anaheim, drubbing was the night before the 3-2 shootout road win in LA and McDavid and Dry Settle carried that game but before that Stuart Skinner did have a 25 save shutout in San Jose who at least had more than 11 shots 25 in that game but it's San Jose
0: yeah from what I've seen lately Skinner's been playing a lot better I mean he had only one place to go (laughs) let's be serious but he's been making some big saves and keeping them
1: I don't know well okay I'm not gonna blame him I thought he should have had in the LA game. He didn't let any in against San Jose at San Jose, but I didn't like the um, Kempe goal because I think that's from distance up the wing. I think you got to have a. That's a snipe, what? though, man. That was a snipe, I guess. And what about the shootout going? You know, I, I just left it on. So I actually watched the shootout in the LA game. LA had a goal. Somebody yeah. went five hole in the shootout. And my bone of contention on that, too, is that L.A. lost a the shootout. They had one guy miss the net. Skinner didn't make a save. And that turns out to be the difference in getting the extra point.
0: Yeah, we got to give a shout out to Derek Ryan. He's a he's a bottom six player. Got the game-winning goal in that shootout, right? And so It's worth mentioning.
1: I think the real benefit of that was he came in with such speed that Talbot wasn't expecting it and wasn't set.
0: Yeah, honestly, I think that's the, I think that's better. Like a lot of the guys started doing the slow thing because like Hattie Kane, you know, would essentially a couple of years back started doing the move where he like it almost stops, basically stops, and then Deeks. But like,
1: mm-hmm.
0: I really think for most players, it's better to come in with speed. And give the goalie less time to react, do a little fake and then rip the shot, you know? These goalies are too good, man. They're gonna outweigh you. And then you're gonna look stupid because you're gonna end up putting it right in their glove or fucking right in the logo.
1: It's good. off I think, is the one that also is really slow in Washington. Yeah, he does that shootout, too. Where you could basically, you know, take a nap before he gets done okay. taking the shootout shot. And if I've heard that goalie, because I'm not watching it's... Washington games. You know, and if I'm you're a definitely... goalie
0: and they do that
1: shit, like Poke Chat wanna slash that yeah, just skate out, do a poke check. It's legal. Yeah. I don't know why guys don't take do that. his
0: feet out, you know? Just take his feet out.
1: Well, you don't have to check him, but as long as you get stick to stick first, if he Oh if man, he... he's trying to he's trying
0: to punk you. Two yeah. two pet stacks slide 80 style into his legs, take them out. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine? Fuck, that'd be epic.
1: Yeah. Well, Lester Sippin Washington just went down.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, they're not in our conference.
1: Okay, Edmonton has Philadelphia, Ottawa, and Chicago up on deck. Did I say who Nashville plays next? Chicago, Calgary, Dallas, and Anaheim. So Nashville is kind of going to stay above it. That's a pretty light schedule.
0: Yeah, outside of Dallas, yeah.
1: St. Louis and Minnesota were the other two that we kind of consider as, I say, further out of a chance to really be a playoff team, especially after Minnesota dropped the uh, home-and-home with Winnipeg. But prior to that, St. Louis- 36 games played, 18-17 one 37 points, five, fourteen point percentage equal to Minnesota's point percentage. Regulation wins for Minnesota 11. They have 36 points, one point less, having played one fewer game, 16-15-4. and four. That's how close those two teams are together, which is why I had told you, Warren, Minnesota really needed not one, not a loser point. They needed to win in regulation against Winnipeg, because this puts them back. They're like Edmonton. They don't have room to be dropping games in a row, regardless, but especially not to teams are trying to catch in the standings. That swing for Minnesota. They're not
0: catching those top three no. teams. They don't have a chance. There is an outside possibility the coyotes could, if there was a bad stretch, if there's some injuries that happen, where they could potentially, I would say, could have a chance to catch one of the teams in the top three. But the Wild are way too far out of it now. It's just not gonna happen
1: and they're just not staying healthy enough in this right i mean they had to win over detroit good for them detroit's been in trouble since even unrelated patrick kane joined the team because he is not the reason they're losing but marcus Johansson had two goals in that win as a shutout i'm, well, I'm going to do minnesota first because i've got more to say and phil augustus had, had three goals against did not return for the third in winnipeg and karel kaprizov exits of course because of the um brendan Dillon taps oh, sure. i will i promise let you have first impressions of brock faber who again you were talking about in the la section as being comparable one for one for kevin fiala minnesota also got liam ogren in the first round 19th overall as part of that deal he's with the world junior championship sweden team right now impressions on brock faber
0: Fuck, man, he's good on defense, that guy. Now that I have a chance to watch him, like, back-to-back games, like, he plays so many minutes for a young guy, and he's just, like, he's good in all situations. So I know you've been, like, talking big about him for quite a while, but now I finally had a chance to kind of watch him. And, uh, yeah, he's, like, he's a stud out there. Him and Spurgeon are big reasons why they've been able to kind of, like, push their way up the standings a little bit.
1: Well, when Spurgeon's been healthy. Yeah, he looked good, though, against the Jets. Yeah, some Minnesota takes don't have him playing as good. They thought Faber should have played more. The one thing that I didn't like about uh, from a Minnesota perspective was this idea that losing Gustafson affected the outcome of the Winnipeg game when Winnipeg already scored three on Gustafson and won four to Man, two.
0: Where he came in and made like three or four ridiculous saves. I, I said that earlier on the pod, like he stoned Nino. Yeah, like Nito's hands were in the air, He's ready to fucking celebrate the Hattie. So, yeah, it definitely wasn't losing their goalie that caused them to lose that game.
1: It's just a narrative of, okay, a couple guys go out. Be I want to be clear about this because, you know, Minnesota didn't make excuses, at least as an organization. I don't know about the fan base, but they still were without Jonas Brodine. They are without Matt Zuccarello, notably also, as well as some bottom six players. Like you mentioned Nick Batan earlier and he's like organizational depth playing mostly American hockey league. They're at the injury point where he's getting to play fourth line and he's not built to be a fourth liner at the national hockey league level, but he never translated to be able to stick around and play top six for better or for worse.
0: Yeah. That's the difference, right? That depth because the jets have major injury problems too, as far as AC, one of the top goal scorers in the league being out. Uh, for an extended period of time uh, they've been without Kapari for a big portion and hanola was supposed to be in their everyday plans and he's been gone too so you got to be able to overcome those things you need that depth to to do that for you you know
1: and John Heinz to his credit I heard him post game and he did not use injuries that's why I said they didn't make any excuses he said well, you got to you got to win with the guys that come in the lineup and but their fourth line to Winnipeg's fourth line, which was a big difference in those two games, was because of injuries.
0: But why bring up Nick? Not V10? as good. Like, do they not have a solid role player, grinder, third liner come in and like lay the body and do PK work for them that can come in and be more of an impact player than Nick the Tam?
1: Yeah, but just give me a second. I'll pull up who it is that's injured that would normally be in that spot because he's also injured. That's why i was they saying they have but, one though. Well, yeah, because you got Duhame Dewar would be normally on the fourth line, and then they would have had, normally it would have been Vinny Leteri, 28-year-old, you know, right shot winger, kind of a Dominic Tondonato type of player. But the other thing with the injuries was that because Zuccarello's out, then guys are playing up the lineup too, right? Because at a certain point, they actually had Ryan Hartman playing on the fourth line with Duhame and Dewar. Hartman had to move up the lineup because Zuccarello's out, but also fourth liner Terry's out.
0: Yeah, Hartman's definitely a player you like if he's on your team, but you do not like if he's not on your team. Exactly. He did, he did some dirty shit to Perfetti and gave him a little dirty slash.
1: Yeah, and, and he does. But if he was on your team and his elevation, you know, was, yeah, he, had
0: a, he had a snipe in that second game.
1: He's one of those guys where to talk about Minnesota, we talked about Winnipeg's top line, right? Not having a big series. Not yeah. Boldy and Joel Eriksson Eck were held in check. And those guys needed to, if Minnesota was going to win those games, get on the scoreboard. And they didn't.
0: For sure. And that's, I think we talked about last podcast. I'm like, they can, the way the Shifley line plays now, like you were talking about earlier in this one, how Ehlers plays defensively, the way Velarde is active stick, and the way he protects the puck, and they can dominate down low and back check I knew like they're going to be able to play that line. They can play top line against top line and come out on top. And they can also throw that Lowry line out and just grind them down and keep them in the other end. And really, when you throw in the fourth line being super strong, and it's just, they don't have enough depth, right? Yeah, yeah, the depth one.
1: But the whole thing on this is that Minnesota's depth takes a hit because they're up against the cap because of those Suter and parisi buyouts yeah there are times when they have to play less guys because they can't even call up a guy they don't even have the league minimum to get a guy to come up and play yeah that's That's an issue that's minnesota's problem and that's their own doing sorry
0: yeah that's true. Nobody's going to feel sorry for you because it would be <laughs> bad decisions, right?
1: Exactly. I mean, I thought they competed as hard as they could, and you're right. The similarities between these teams are crazy. Winnipeg's got better goaltending, both goaltenders, and the depth is better on Winnipeg. I
0: at, thought after that game, I'm like, this defense. Wild team in the second game at home, the way they play, they came out with a purpose— and they're extremely physical and even a little bit dirty at times, but like not in a bad way, really like just like little, those little extra shots that just trying to start shit a little bit, but like they had that grittiness. The, they were playing hard to win the game. Like if they play like this every night. They're going to win more than they lose.
1: If they can get healthy because they went from potentially being four back of Winnipeg right up there with Arizona and Nashville. And instead to they're back guy. of those teams and 12 points back of Winnipeg, Dallas, and it's a, big hit yeah so
0: now for they're the fighting a million teams. teams for that the wild card right
1: yeah and they're the last of the teams really we can almost start putting them with calgary and seattle where we go next now the other thing i want to do is give a shout out because mark andre Fleury coming in for Augustus and got his 999th game played in the regular season so he did get a thousand games played against winnipeg nice on winnipeg to give him a, a applause when he came in and they posted that it was his 999th regular season game. He gets his 1,000th, and you know Flurry, He got an interviewed post-game by Belly's, I think, Kevin Gord. And the first thing he said, he's talking about the fact that he would think about it and reflect back on it fondly, you know, in time. But he was like, but we didn't win. Yeah. like and what that's a who gamer, he is, right? He's a competitor. <laughs> Three cups. Right. Right, That's all he cares about. Yeah. yeah. It's like, well, we didn't win. <laughs> you know, milestone that only four goalies in the NHL have ever done. Yeah. Right? All whole of You
0: got to love it, right?
1: Absolutely. The dominance of those. And they did um, a nice little Marty and Lou and Patrick Wall all had sent messages to Flurry on his 1,000th. That's cool. Yeah, I didn't see that. So looking ahead for Minnesota, they've got Calgary a team we're going to talk about right away, Tampa Bay, Columbus and then two against Dallas. So that divisional games against Dallas now, Loom Large as well as after losing these two to Winnipeg. Team we sure. were the other team we were talking about, we already covered St. Louis's 2-1 home win versus Dallas, the 2-1 home loss to Colorado, and they had a 4-2 road loss in Pittsburgh well on a back-to-back. But the only notable is in the win over Dallas, it was Joe Hofer, 39 saves, one goal against in them squeaking out that win. Bennington was not better than Gorgiev in the 2-1 to loss. And looking ahead, St. Louis, tough schedule next three, Vancouver, Carolina, and Florida for those teams. Do you want to talk about Calgary or Seattle? Because after Seattle's win today, right, now that the Winter Classic's over, We might want to talk about Seattle before Calgary. What do you think? Well, where does that put them? Yeah, now in points and points percentage, they're actually above 500.
0: Do they still have games in hand on everybody or is it even out now?
1: Well, Seattle's played more games than anybody else. So technically, I guess Calgary would have games in hand that would have made up the difference, but they're below 500. Let's go Seattle. And then we'll do Calgary and finish out with the last three here quickly. They had the 2-1 road win in Calgary, so they beat Calgary in a stretch. They had the 2-1 home overtime win to Philadelphia. Philadelphia still kept their point streak. And then the 3-0, it's a home win, even though they're playing, I guess, in the field where the Mariners play. 3-0 shutout to Vegas in the Winter Classic. Goaltending was a big story in Seattle with this stretch. Like, we got three games here. Two goals against. And the 2 1 road win in Calgary was a 37 save, one goal against return game after 20 months for goalie Chris Dreger for that win in Calgary. That's pretty crazy. That much time off. That's how long he's been gone. And with Grubauer out, he now slots in as a backup. Now, if the backup is putting in 35 plus save, (laughs) one goal against Knights for you, that's pretty good. They go back to Joy. Don't pull the cord. He had one goal against 27 saves in the two to one home overtime win to Philadelphia. Philly still had kept their road point streak alive in that, then lost the next one to have it finally end at nine. Joy Decord, cord, though. Check out these numbers, Warren. Two, four, six goals against average, nine, 15 save percentage headed into the Winter Classic today, where he picked up a shutout with an eight five and eight record which is now nine five and eight which ruined my little statistical that eight five eight was san diego's area code and i'd actually looked that up before i found out sir mixalot was doing uh, that song at the winter classic so i was like the chords feeling cali not uh washington that literally was where i was going to go with that but of course just had to ruin it by winning a yeah so nine five eight with another shutout anyways Shout out to Joey, don't pull the cord, and Seattle doing good. So that gives them, okay, 38 games played, 15-14-9 for 39 points. Another regulation, when to have them at 11, and a minus 12, and a point percentage that's above 504. actually the first time, I think, this year. They have Ottawa, Buffalo, and Washington on deck. Now, Calgary, by comparison, of course, had that loss at home to seattle they had a 4-3 home win to philadelphia that ended the flyer nine game road point streak jacob markstrom two goals against 19 saves in the home loss to seattle he only made 19 saves the shots on goal were 38 to 21 with the 37 saves by Dreger. big difference in the game and speaking of milk cartons warren andrew mangiapani fun nhl name to say had three assists in a four-three win over Philadelphia, where they go up and then give up another goal after getting the empty net goal, which was Blake Coleman's. Just a weird game that was.
0: Yeah, that's what I was saying earlier when we were talking about it. And it's yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Like they just didn't look that impressive in that game, to be honest. Markstrom was
1: great, but yeah, Markstrom's good. That's why they're kind of they'll hang around here. But I still have these as two teams that aren't really playoff bound but if seattle starts getting goaltending and i actually think i like seattle's chances better than calgary of getting back into the swing of things but all those teams have to go over to get i don't like either one this. of their chances to yeah. be honest
0: yeah i feel like their afterthoughts not to kill any of their uh fans vibes but i think they probably realize that at this yeah. point
1: well it's thinking of a tagline for calgary and seattle it was urban miss which is a story or statement that is not true, but often repeated and believed by many to be true. Calgary <laughs> or Seattle making the playoffs—that's what makes me think it's an urban myth. Yeah, they're both it's, flaming out. If you will, well, yeah, and and it was like flaming out to the point where it makes me think of Elton John's "Candle in the Wind" for Calgary' chances of making the playoffs. The old song he wrote about Marilyn Monroe. Yeah, it's a classic google the lyrics of that and if i'm trolling calgary and i'm a western conference team while they're losing in the third i'm i'm busting that out as in between to that just makes calgary.
0: me think of uh will ferrell in old school you see yeah. any dust in the wind yeah that
1: would be another one yeah dust in the wind yeah right. that would be, yeah exactly 15, 16, 5, 35 points, 36 games played, 46-point percentage for Calgary. That gets us to the teams that are absolutely sitting in draft lottery ticket holder spots, Anaheim, Chicago, San Jose. Anaheim had that 5-2 home win to Vegas. You already talked about that earlier, Drysdale's first goal. Yep. Brent Leeson had two goals.
0: Yeah, McTavish had three assists.
1: Solid but win yeah, for them. That's
0: a big deal because we were talking about that young that kid, He's been out all year, has had a rough start to his career, like with injuries and shit.
1: He's so good puck moving. He does have a remind me so much of Bo Byram and maybe a really young Josh Morrissey type of Jared Spurgeon type of guy that can quarterback, you know, transition offense to defense so much noticeable with Jamie Drysdale back there. They had a two-nothing home loss to Arizona. We talked about that. And then we talked about the seven-two home loss to Edmonton on Edmonton being on the back to back, on Anaheim. And Zegers is amazing assist in that game already.
0: Fucking beauty. <laughs> Highlight of the game. Not just say in the game they got smoked, you know. Cause like Zegers, he probably say he doesn't uh get any clutch goals, you know.
1: Well, he has. He's got that big highlight reel goal for sure in that other loss. One other one to almost have a highlight package. So I guess with this assist now, you've got a highlight pack for him this year. Oh, yeah. Well, can't forget that he's got the fuck in Michigan.
0: Any crops, he told the hot chick that was interviewing him. Did you see that? She was in her room and he said, "Uh, she's like, you got to do like a lacrosse type goal. because he or called. Go get Michigan. one of those for me. And then he said, yeah. He's like, yeah, we'll do that. And then you went did it. it. Yeah. <laughs> That's kind of sweet.
1: So Trevor egress is motivated by female reporters. All right.
0: Let's be serious. All athletes are a little bit extra motivated by the hawk girls in the stands or the reporters. No?
1: Yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah. of course. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a little something, something. <laughs> You're preaching to the choir ward. Come on. Yeah. Uh, how does this TikTok girlfriend feel about him flirting with the reporter on the sideline?
0: Probably has an open relationship, I imagine.
1: well they're in california so yeah probably okay toronto winnipeg detroit and nashville on deck for anaheim they're in a really bad stretch and they are still missing leo carlson i will say that in this stretch notably he's out that was not a good trade-off that was not a good trade-off i would rather have leo carlson healthy than Trevor egress healthy i don't know about you is he injured or what yeah, he's injured. He was injured in the last podcast. We were talking about that. Remember when we were ducks. saying about ducks and, you know, feet being hurt and he hurt his leg and he's out?
0: We're almost at that point where I feel like I should bring up like there is another dynamite prospect. He's playing for Team Canada, World Juniors right now, the Macklin Celebrini. Celebrini. Yeah, he's yeah. ripping it up. He's got 18 points in 10 games, eight goals. And that's like in college, he's playing Div 1 college team. Uh yeah, Boston College as a 17 year old—that's pretty crazy. Like to average a point a game is a big deal there. So,
1: well, he's he's expected. He's he's a stud, man.
0: Like I've been watching. I don't know if you've watched much. You said you weren't really didn't have a chance not yet to watch too many of those. Too busy with the NHL games. But fuck, man, he's he's dynamic. He's he's not Bernard, but he he's a special player. So Anaheim, Seattle, maybe even Calgary, Chicago for sure. San Jose. Like they're San Jose, like all those guys. Like you don't want to win too many games where you pull yourself out of that lottery ticket this year. No, not every year has these kind of players.
1: And that's really, true. Columbus and Ottawa, probably on the east or the other. Yeah, but, that's true. But Celebrini, absolutely. I'm, you know what? I'm going to root for Columbus just because for the play-by-play guy going forward, having Fantilli and Celebrini on the same roster, potentially on the same line, would be a nightmare. <laughs>
0: Yeah, that's as good as a reason as any.
1: Actually, that was one of the highlights of the uh Anaheim Arizona game was the the rosters because Arizona had Yusuf Alamaki in the lineup and Anaheim had a defenseman in the lineup and I have to look this up. Uro Vakalinen. So Uro Vakalainen and, and Yusuf Valamaki were playing in the same game. And the guy, the play-by-play guy is like, oh, these guys can't be on the ice at the same time. Please help me. <laughs> yeah. So Celebrini with Fantilli is going to be really hard if they end up in Columbus together. But I like it. I don't um, really
0: want to go to Columbus because like that, that seems to be where careers go to die, you know? I feel bad enough that Fantilli's
1: there. <laughs> careers?
0: Yeah, <laughs> Johnny Goodrow, Patrick Laine, just fucking falling off a cliff, man.
1: Chicago eleven twenty three and two twenty four points two below Anaheim minus fifty on the goal differential three thirty three point percentage. They did, of course, have the two to one home overtime win to Winnipeg. They get an overtime road loss point in Dallas. We talked about it, and then they got dropped by Dallas, which we also talked. We've talked about all three, other than. Connor Bedard's two goals in the overtime winning over Winnipeg at home.
0: Yes, which were absolutely filthy. And, uh, you know, obviously I'm not cheering for him when he's playing against the Jets, like, gotta appreciate the skill. Like, his fucking shot that he snapped off in overtime was ridiculous. He played the Hawks the last two games they played against the Hawks. He has all three goals. He does plays every game if you watch him. I know you don't watch him because you don't like watching the Hawks, which is understandable because they're terrible. But, uh, Every game he makes, he does plays that make, like, other teams. If he played on another team, he'd be racking up. I, I just think if he was playing with Ehlers and Velardi or...
1: And you just pick any top-line
0: players. Casey, Perfetti, whatever. Yeah, like, there's just, like, he would be putting up probably 100-plus like this year. Maybe yeah. 110, you know, 115.
1: I would look at the rookie seasons that Kirill Kaprizov had in Minnesota and the rookie season that Jason Robertson had because they had line mates. And think Connor Bedard could more than double that if he had line mates like those two guys had in their rookie years. Kaprizov had Zuccarello. He put up points. Robertson, once he got playing with Hinson, Pavelski was lighting it up. If Bedard had line mates like that, it would be exceptional what he would be doing at this point, but he does well, If he was
0: able to walk in and they had kept to bring Kat, like can you imagine? And Kane. And Kane? Imagine that shit.
1: Well, that's what I said to you. Like, that's my whole shot was like, okay, they got rid of the Brinkett. So Kane would ask to leave so they could, the organization could look like, oh, we didn't send him on his way. He wanted to go. And yet you could have the Brinkett and Kane as the wingers with Connor Bedard as the center.
0: Yeah. That's so gross.
1: (laughs) Like, and you could have Jonathan Taves as your third line center. Good for the room. Three cup winner. Even just practicing with Connor Bedard to teach him how to like be an all around cup winner pedigree, but no Chicago. Well, we'll just get rid of everybody.
0: But- mentioning that game that the Hawks actually won against the Jets, though. Check with the other stats. They were the Jets were four to one in expected goals in that game. So,
1: yeah, Mrazek had a good game that game, really good, surprising. And then he was in net for that. Five goal loss in overtime to Dallas, and had six goals against, twenty five saves in the eight one drubbing, and they didn't even let him finish the game at that point.
0: Sometimes, sometimes you just find lightning in a bottle one night. You know, one of the when you're older, you know, just one night you find it. You're not as stiff as you were the night before. You know, you fucking are moving around like you're ten years younger.
1: He's a better option than Soderblom. Every time we mention Soderblom in a game, it's their backup in Chicago. Like he can't yeah, win. He for, sucks for sure. And he's the young up and coming guy. He's he's ruined.
0: It's tough man, to be to be a goalie in that environment, getting shelled every night and having an odd man rush after odd man rush, breakaway after breakaway. Like that's tough. It's tough to beat play any position on a team that's losing to start your career, but it's even harder as a goalie, you know what I mean? Like you got to build your confidence, build your build your game. It's the toughest position to do that, you know.
1: Chicago's got Nashville. The Rangers, New Jersey, Calgary, Edmonton. So those are teams that are looking to bank points here in the next five games. Go Bedard, that's about it. Uh, and then wrapping up San Jose, they've been the worst again. They're having their second worst stretch of the season. 9-25, 321 points. Losers of eight. Five into the break, three out of it. Two eighty-four 84-point percentage. After Christmas, they had a 5-1 road loss in LA. Five nothing home loss to Edmonton. San Jose was on the back-to-back, but it still gave up five. Three-to-one road loss in Colorado. Fabian Zetterland, with his goal in the L.A. loss, the lone goal they had, San Jose had, that's his 10th of the year. He's the second guy on the Sharks to be in double digits in goals. Not a good thing. And that's behind Thomas Hurdle, who had the lone goal in the 3-1 loss to Colorado. That was his 13th of the year. That leads the Sharks. There's some talk about, you know, about goaltenders, right? Kapil Kakanen is getting a lot of talk right now uh, about being potentially a goalie that teams have interest in. He's in San Jose. And you would say, okay, why on a last place team that doesn't win would anybody be looking into Kapil Kakanen? He actually, on a goal saved above expected, Warren, is a like 5.3 goal saved above expected, 19th. He's got good numbers on a really, really bad team that can't defend.
0: Somehow, I doubt if the Oilers go get that guy. Their their fan base will be will be satisfied, you know.
1: But contract wise, versus um, the type of money and the type of return, teams are going to be asking for John Gibson or Bennington. Bennington, right? That's somebody that could potentially be looked at for some teams. Just something to keep out there. You know, Toronto had their goalie and Eric Comrie cleared waivers basically today. But again, even at 1.8 million, Eric Comrie wasn't claimed off of waivers by anybody. Yeah, that's too bad. He's a good kid. So a look ahead for San Jose to wrap this up. Detroit, Winnipeg, Toronto times two. San Jose playing Toronto on a home and home run because yeah, of the. Do that. <laughs> well, no, but the geographical proximity being zero (laughs) to san jose and toronto
0: yeah i guess yeah yeah like one east coast far far side the other side west coast
1: and they're playing a home at home so here's how this worked out okay Toronto's going to finish up on saturday a california trip and then both they and like toronto and san jose will play on the saturday they'll play each other in tuesday in toronto and then San Jose is going to play Montreal, Ottawa, Buffalo, but weird home and home because they will play back-to-back games, one in San Jose, then in Toronto, with a few days in between. But I couldn't believe it on the scheduling. I just wanted to bring that up. Yeah, it's pretty fucked up. That wraps another edition of Sharpshooters. Tim Bigelow, thanks again, Warren Smith. We'll get a little um, pop-up pod talking about the – winnipeg power play sometime like this week because we've got stuff recorded on that and we'll be back at you next week with another full edition of all things nhl and the western conference thanks for listening
0: don't be a logger hunter be a sharpshooter
1: and keep it top shelf